let's open our hearts to receive the word. If you'd open your hands, please. Lord Jesus, it is with great joy and great um, expectation that we prepare to receive your word today. Lord, how grateful we are that Jesus, um, you are the living, eternal word, and that you have a word to speak to us even this day. Would you come now and release that word among us, Lord, that will bring transformation, not just information, but transformation to our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Over 60 years ago, on August 7th, 1954, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada, one of the greatest mile-run matchups that ever was took place. It was touted as the Miracle Mile because Roger Bannister and John Landy were the only two sub-four-minute milers of that time. Bannister had been the first man ever to run a four-minute mile, and both runners were in peak condition. Now, Bannister had a plan for his run, and that plan was that he was going to relax during the third lap and save everything for his finishing drive. But as they began the third lap, John Landy began to pour it on, stretching his already substantial lead. And immediately, Bannister adjusted his strategy, increasing his pace and gaining on Landy. The lead was cut in half, and at the bell for the final lap, they were even. Landy began running even faster, and Bannister followed suit. He felt he was going to lose if Landy didn't slow down. And then came what became the famous moment in the race. As they were approaching the finish line, as the crowd swelled in their sound of cheering, Landy, who was ahead at that moment, was unable to hear where his competitor, Bannister, was at. And in an unguarded moment, Landy looked back to see where his competitor, Bannister, was at. And in that momentary lapse of concentration, Landy stepped it, I'm sorry, Bannister stepped it up and passed Landy and finished the race five yards ahead of his competitor. All because of that momentary lapse of concentration all because he looked back instead of looking ahead. This morning, we are completing a series of studies that we've been doing over the last couple of months entitled Take Off. Our key scripture has been found in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'd invite you to turn there, if you would, in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, because that's where we're going to be spending our time again this morning. 
take off and run for your life. Therefore, since we are surrounded, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppositions from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When Pastor Sam spoke on this at BCF Minneapolis on Friday night, he entitled the message, Keep Running. This morning, I've entitled the message, Keep Your Head Up. You see, first of all, what we've been looking at over the last seven weeks are the things that we need to throw off, the things that we need to take off in order that we might run in a way that embraces the fullness of life. Did you know, it says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that you might have life and what? Life to the full, abundant life. But we don't have that abundant life when we're weighted down by those sins and weights that entangle us. And so we need to take off pride so that we can run with humility. We need to take off avarice and run with simplicity. We're invited to take off envy and run with gratitude. To take off anger and run with meekness. To take off sloth and run with persevering faith. To take off gluttony and run with self-control. And to take off lust and run with love. Throughout these seven weeks, we've been looking at these various things. Thank you to Pastor Ben for speaking on pride and Pastor Sam on gluttony, Pastor Tom spoke on lust, and the invitation to each of us is to take these things off so that we can experience the fullness of life. And if you've not been able to be with us, you can find these messages back on the back table. You can sign up for a CD and get the PowerPoint, or you can go to our website and download the messages there so that you can continue to walk with us in this season. Now, this morning, as I mentioned, I've entitled the message, Keep Your Head Up. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the following scripture to Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 11. So if you have your Bible, turn there. It will be on the screen, but it's lovely to hear the rustling of pages or the scrolling of smartphones, okay? So... All right? Beginning in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, say everyone. 
Say, that means me. Everyone undergoes discipline. Then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all if you're not disciplined. You're not true sons and daughters. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we expected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. All right, I have three sets of three that I want to unpack from this passage this morning as we learn to keep our heads up. And you've got in your bulletin on the green insert, you have sermon notes there. If you'd like to take notes, I encourage you to do so. To remind yourself when you're in the midst of the discipline of the Lord, what might be happening. First of all, I want to speak of three reasons for discipline. Before I do that, let's take a moment to make a disconnect in our minds between discipline and punishment. Because I think we often only put the two together. And sometimes there is a punishing part of discipline that's happening. But discipline has to do with the shaping of our lives for the purpose of us developing and growing into full maturity. So there are three different reasons for discipline. The first is corrective discipline, and our example this morning would be King David. Many of you remember the biblical story of when King David ended up, you know, everybody was off to war, and he didn't go, and he was looking, and he saw Bathsheba bathing, and she was beautiful, and he wanted her, and so he ended up having her, you know, he ended up calling back, he wanted her, ended up having her husband come back because David wanted to, uh, uh, you know, he had already lain with Bathsheba, wanted, uh, she was going to have a child, he wanted to make sure that that child would, would be known as her, uh, her husband, brought him back, he wouldn't lie with her, he, David sent him to the front lines of the war, he was killed, and then the prophet Nathan comes and says, what have you done? What have you done? And David underwent incredible corrective discipline. Do you remember what happened to David after he was disciplined by Nathan? Do you remember how things unraveled for his family? The son of his illicit union died. And... Violence attended his home. His son Amon, Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. Absalom murdered Amnon. And then in league with Bathsheba's father, Ethiopel, staged a rebellion. This was corrective discipline of a very intense kind. But out of that, David learned something. In Psalm 119, he says these words, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now... Say, but now, but now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. 
Paul gives similar instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where he's speaking about the Lord's Supper and the people coming together. And he says, nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. There is a purpose for corrective discipline. It puts us back on the track. When we've wandered in the race and we've gone off the track, corrective discipline is there. What David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I didn't know where I was going. But now I obey your word. Now I'm going to walk in the discipline of the Lord. Second kind of discipline is educational discipline. And our example here is Job. You remember the story of Job loses all of his family, loses all of his good. I mean, you know, Job, Job had about as much hard stuff happen to him. And that's where, you know, we even today we talk about, you know, we, Job is still known as a watchword all over the world of somebody who's experiencing when you're undergoing intense trial and testing and difficulty. You talk about going through the trials of Job, right? We talk about that. But what happened in the midst of that discipline? What did Job discover? Well, we're told what he discovered in Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 6. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak and I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job went through this intense process of testing and trial. Why? Because it came to him as a revelation, ultimately, of the character and, yes, the goodness and greatness of God. Educational discipline keeps us on track and it keeps us growing in the Lord. If you want to grow into maturity, you will need to experience the educational discipline of the Lord. It's just part of the program. It's part of the program. You know the saying, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever? It's true. Some people have one year of experience 40 times. Other people have 40 years of experience, and you see the growth and the maturing in their life. Educational discipline. Here's a third kind of discipline that we don't often think about. Preventative discipline. And the example here is the Apostle Paul. Remember what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10? He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, I'm sorry, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Preventative discipline protects and strengthens us on the track. Sometimes God will strip away the things that we've been depending on, even unconsciously. God is really good at this. He wants to, you know, sometimes... Forgive me, Jeanette. I'm going to borrow a prop for a second. We've got, you know, we've got our cane. We've got something that we, we don't even realize that we're depending on, that we're leaning on. And sometimes the Lord will just come along and very gently take it out of our hands and set it down. And invite us to lean on him. I remember a time many years ago when I was experiencing some intense testing. And I was crying out to the Lord and I was saying, Lord, the thing that I, the the thing that I know about myself, the thing that I most you know, aware the, the thing that I'm, that's sort of foundational to my sense of identity of who I am, that's, that's being tested, that's being tried, that's being, uh, you know, it's in, in, it's in the middle of, God, what do I do with this? And I, I was talking to my spiritual director, and he had these very insightful, wise words for me. He said, well, do you think that the Lord might be inviting you To instead of leaning on that, do you think he might be inviting you to lean on the Holy Spirit? And I went, ooh, now there's a thought. And he touched me. Whoa, he touched me. So sometimes God removes things from us in order that we'll lean more deeply into him. so that we'll discover his resources instead of our own. Three responses to discipline. Now, come back to the scripture with me for a moment. Verse 5. Have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Here's the three responses that we can have to discipline. The first is disdain, to make light of, or to be indifferent towards. Ah, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to make light of that. Now, the other is dismay, to lose heart and be overwhelmed. How many of us have ever been overwhelmed? Right? Yeah? By the discipline? Dismayed. Overwhelmed. How about desire? Now that doesn't mean, yippee, I'm so glad I'm getting disciplined. It doesn't mean some sort of fakey, 
But it does mean an embracing of, a submitting ourselves to the process of transformation. I love what David says in Psalm 51. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is in response, direct response. This is Psalm 51 is David's psalm after his fall with Bathsheba. He comes back and, he, and, and when he's come to his senses and the Lord has worked in his life and he goes through in Psalm 51 and at the, towards the end of it he says, create in me a clean heart. Create in me. Shape me, Lord. Transform my life, Lord. I don't want to have one year of experience 40 times. I want to keep growing. I want to grow new wood. Using a tree analogy, I want to grow new wood every year in my life. Right? Don't you just love seeing Jeanette come up here with the team, the seeds, okay? She's out there making it happen. I mean, you know, she's still growing new wood. I want to grow new wood. Borgie was my hero. You know Borgie? Many of you know Borgie, 86, 87 years old when she passed away. She was still, you know, she was mentoring a 10-year-old girl every Monday for two hours when she was in her middle 80s. She was still working with kingdom kids, with uh, big house, you know, she was still baking cookies, going to the nursing home, taking care of the plants, doing all. That's what I want to do. I still want to be doing the Lord's work all the days of my life, growing in him. How about you? I want to keep growing. We want to keep growing as a body. Finally, three revelations of discipline. Three reasons. There is corrective, educational, and protective discipline, which we can either disdain or be dismayed or we can delight in. And then the three revelations of discipline. First, the father treasures his children. If you are disciplined, you can know that you are a legitimate child of the Lord. You're his legitimate child when you go through discipline. Because he treasures his children Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So hear me carefully. Correction does not mean rejection. It means that we are loved and accepted. Many times when we go through the discipline of the Lord, our first instinct is to go to the victim mentality and say, oh, he must not love me. Oh, God, I'm so worthless. And instead to say, I am so valuable, I am so worthwhile, that he loves me enough to discipline me, to help me grow into the fullness of my call. Which is yet another piece of what discipline reveals. It reveals that the father desires his children to be whole and holy. First Peter, Peter puts it this way in First Peter. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For as it is written, 
Be holy because I am holy. Holy at root means wholeness. It means integrated. It means fully whole, fully one, fully united, one in heart, one in spirit, one in mind. It means, means coming together to that place where we are fully mature in him. He desires for us to be whole and holy, and so he disciplines us as a father. And finally, his discipline here, his discipline is always directed towards our good, always. He's always directed towards your good. He's always on your side. He's always, he may not be on the side of what you're doing, but he's on your side, desiring for you to become whole and holy. And finally, and I love this, please hear this carefully. The father desires his children to reach their destiny. As it says in Proverbs, start children off on the way they should go. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Okay? This is a proverb. It's something, it's wisdom from the Lord. We use it with our own children, but we need to understand as a father loves us, his children. What's the reference on that proverb? Proverbs 22.6. Thank you. Proverbs 22.6. Start children off in the way that they should go. I have four children. I love my kids. I'm wildly in love with my kids. And I have a granddaughter. Have I told you about my granddaughter? <laughs> Fiona. We were just with her. Daddy had Daddy Fiona time. I'm an early morning wake-up person, and Fiona is as well. And so I got the early shift. I got to spend like from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. with her each morning. And we'd go outside, and we'd walk around, and we'd look at the squirrels. And she has this new thing she does. It goes, ooh. And when she says, ooh, Grandpa goes, ooh. Mm. So I have four children. I have Emily and Eleanor. I have Miss Claire, who just turned 18. Congratulations to Miss Claire for her 18th birthday. Where are you, dearest? There you are. All right. And Noah, my boy, 13. My greatest desire is for them to become all that God has called them to be. And I love watching them blossom. I love watching my older girls just blossoming in who they, God's called them to be. I love watching my younger ones growing and blossoming. That's a father's delight. My delight is for them to reach their destiny, to, to become all that, they, that God desires for them to be. Well, he desires that we all come to full maturity and reach our full potential. He wants everybody to do that. And so he trains us. So he disciplines us. So he helps us become that just as a father. We have to train and discipline our children. He disciplines and trains us, not because he doesn't like us, but because he loves us and wants us to be all that he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. So today, could we embrace the Lord's discipline in our lives? Whatever stage we are, whether you were young, beginning the process, the journey as a child, maybe you are a very old child. Maybe you're all the way towards the end of your days here on earth. And yet, we still can continue to grow and grow new wood and still continue to become even more of what God has called us to be.
final scripture as the worship team comes up. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we get it, do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I'm not going to run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is Paul's words. May they become our words as well. Keep running. Whoops, keep it up there for one more second there. Whoops, thanks. (laughs) Keep running such a way as to get the prize. Keep running. 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 Keep running, keep running, keep running. Keep your head up. Run for your life. Don't look back. Look up. Look ahead. Keep running. Can we stand together, please? We're going to sing a song we've not sung in a long time. We'll lead it as best we can, but the words are just perfect for what We're going to sing this song and I'm going to give a benediction and we'll be done. But even as we sing this song, if the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning and you want to respond, I invite you to this altar today. Sharon, prophetic gift and has something to share with us this morning. Thank you. Just to follow up on Liz's earlier word. Yes, we find ourselves in tight places. But one of the things that the Lord has reminded me time and time again is when we're in a tight place, many times that very tight place becomes a door for God to move. Yes. Think about, she said about the Red Sea. That's one of the most wonderful miracles that God ever did for his people. But they were in a very tight place. And they cried out to him and said, God, do something. And... He did. So if you're in a tight place, don't look at it as a tight place, but a door of opportunity for him to move in your life. Amen. It's a good word. So if you're in that tight place or whatever it is, if the Lord's just touched your heart this morning, why don't you respond if you would like. Nothing magical about the altar, but it is a touch point, a place. So if you want to come, come as we sing together. And remind ourselves, again, we're going to keep running to Him. Please open your hands. Jesus, as you have brought us your word today for our lives, 
Lord, we choose today to embrace your truth. The discipline that you might be bringing into any or all of our lives at this time. Jesus, we submit under your mighty hand that in due time you might lift us up. And Lord Jesus, we remember that you love us and that you love us so much that you're not willing to just leave us as we are, but that you are continuing to transform us so that we might be walking to the fullness of our calling in you. Jesus, we love you today. And now with open hands, receive the benediction. I pray that you'll be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, Go with the banner of his favor over your life. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy and goodness will chase you down every day of your life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen.